Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I want to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode is artist John Wass. John is quite an impressive fellow, and you'll hear why in our chat. A few things to get to before that. I want to first say hello to and thank the sponsors of this podcast, New Wave and Chelsea Classical Studios. New Wave is a designer and producer of really awesome artist palettes in the Yugo Plain Air Pochade boxes. With new products constantly on the horizon, it is run by two brothers in the Philadelphia area. And Chelsea Classical Studios, which offers archival painting supplies handmade with great patience. So I want to tell you about a movie I watched a couple weeks ago that has stayed with me. It's called A Hidden Life, and it's about an Austrian farmer during World War II who recognizes the evil of Hitler and the Nazi regime and... Because of his convictions, he and his family become kind of outcasts uh, in their village. And it's clear that if he doesn't get in line and and support uh, the war effort, support the regime, the perception is that he will bring great shame upon the village. But he is a man of great conviction and deeply believes in doing the right thing, so he doesn't He doesn't waver, and he ends up getting called up to fight for the Nazis, and he refuses to swear an oath to Hitler. He refuses to participate in the evil um, that they are perpetrating. So he's put in a military prison, and the thing that has stuck with me about this movie is that he's told repeatedly during the movie, during his imprisonment, that the stance he has taken is meaningless, that his protest will change nothing, his actions will go completely unnoticed, and the pain he is enduring will be will all be in vain. But the thing that none of those people realize is that he's not doing it for them. He knows he can't stop the Nazis or change their minds, and uh, that's that's not the reason that he's... He's taking the stance that he has. He's doing it for himself so that he can look himself in the mirror so that he can be someone he's proud of, that his wife is proud of, that his children are proud of. Um, because because being moral and doing the right thing is its own reward. And that never occurs to them. This man has a profound respect for himself and it is quite worthy of of admiration. This movie illustrates just how expendable individuals are in authoritarian countries, how personal convictions are completely meaningless and everyone is simply expected to sacrifice themselves to the majority, to the will of those in power. One thing I noticed about this movie that um, I thought was kind of humorous when I thought about it later is that the movie is in English, but every time there's a Nazi yelling, which is often... Um, Nazis love to yell. They are yelling in German, and there aren't, there are no subtitles for uh, for what they're yelling. I took that to mean that it's not really important what they're what they're yelling about. It's just more 
just more Nazi drivel. Um, but I thought that was, I thought that was a little bit humorous the way they did that. Um, so as, as well as being a really powerful profile in courage and morality, the movie is just visually stunning. It's really beautiful to look at a very, very artistic movie. So give it a watch. I recommend it, uh, if you're into that kind of thing. All right. So without any further ado, here's my chat with John Wass. Okay, really excited to talk to the artist John Wass today. Hey, John, how are you? Thanks for being here. Hey, Danny. Nice talking to you. Yeah, man. So I've been, I've wanted to talk to you for a while, actually. There's like, oh, yeah. We have, well, we have some things in common. Um, and I think, you know, it's just one of those things. I'm like, hey, could probably have a really good conversation with that guy. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, we both. So we're both represented by the um, Quint Quint Cordaire Fine Art Gallery in Napa, California, and both fans of the writing of Ayn Rand and her philosophy of objectivism, which mm-hmm. I think puts us in a in quite a minority in the art world, probably or the world in general, sure. basically. So. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, for sure, the art world. <laughs> yeah, for sure, the art world. Um, but so today is May 1st. People, this this episode will probably not be published until uh, probably around June 1st. That's just kind of the... Okay. Trying to record some so I can release them uh, and be be consistent about when I release them. Trying to do that every every two weeks now. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So you don't have to rely on other people's schedule. Well, yeah, yeah. Plus my own schedule. I don't know, so, yeah, you know right. if, I, if I get too busy or yeah, if I'm trying to trying to hook up with somebody and we just can't we just can't make it work for whatever reason. So right. So trying to trying to do that, but um, but that's interesting because. So today's May 1st, and yep. we're in the middle of this coronavirus. Most people are still locked down. But the gallery that we are both represented by is going to defy orders of the state of California and I guess the city or county of Napa and mm-hmm. open their doors today. And it's 11.18 right now, Central Time, so I guess... I guess it'll happen in about two hours in in uh, in Napa. So that's pretty interesting. They're in the news. They're, I mean, I guess it's under threat of arrest, right? I not positive, but I would assume so. Um, yeah, I don't know for sure what they're gonna pull on them, but um, I support them. So I just hope everything goes well. Yeah, as well as it can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they have uh, they have my full support. Um, I think there's no reason why um, businesses like them can't open their doors. You know, I think they've been, I think they've had the gallery for 25 years now. It's it's you know it's tough for people, obviously, to uh, just close your doors for what's it been over a month now, I guess probably, and uh, try to survive. So. I um yeah 100% uh, support what they're doing and 
again, it's kind of weird that that it'll be a month until anyone hears this. So by the time this is, by the time anyone's listening to this, we will know what happened today. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like looking in the past. Yeah. Right. Um, but gosh, yeah, I just thought about that before I called you and I was like, oh, goodness, what's going to happen in a couple hours? And right. I just, um, I hope they get support, uh, all the, the, the local support there. And I hope the authorities uh, use use their best judgment, which in this case, I think best judgment would equal uh, not arresting them, not finding them, <laughs> trusting right. them to open their doors and uh, not, you know, wreak havoc on the community through letting people look at artwork. Exactly. I mean, I know for a fact, talking with them frequently, they take the virus seriously. So I say, you know, I trust them. And if you don't, then just stay home. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's the whole thing is that, uh, you know, if somebody wants to open their doors, we are free people who get to choose uh, under any circumstance where we go and who we associate with. And if you think that's really dangerous, you have every right to not go to the gallery. So You have every right to not leave your front door at I mean, right. you can get everything from groceries to, you know, art supplies delivered to your front door. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess the deal is you have every right to do that, but you actually don't have the right to to uh, force someone else to not live their life. Exactly. So good luck to the Cordaires today. Absolutely. Wish them they sound like... Um, I saw a post from Linda earlier that they've been getting tons of letters of support and messages and things. So that's actually really great. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, I think most people understand this and, and kind of... Well, they see it in a certain context. As long as they're not completely panicked out of their mind over the virus, they can see that the gallery is much less, uh, much less of a threat and in the way you know the like a grocery store well that's yeah that's the interesting thing right is that it's kind of hard to take a lot of these um policies serious when it's like yeah we can go to the grocery store we go to home depot we go to a lot walmart, of different walmart yeah. a lot of different places and it's where it's impossible packed. it's to like stay. christmas yeah it's impossible to keep that kind of distance, six feet all the right. time, you know. Um, I and mean, maybe if you give people a place to go, like a gallery where you just look and you can't touch anything anyway, and they're just, they request you wear a mask, I'm pretty sure that's their policy they're going to have. Um, sure. You know, what? what's more dangerous, going into Walmart and touching a bunch of different produce or going into their gallery and looking at stuff with a mask on it. Like, I just don't <laughs> get a, it. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean... <laughs> and the people who are bored are going to go to Walmart. I know a lot of people that just go out and um, go to Walmart because they're bored, you know? Uh, sure, sure. And then they get these stimulus checks and, I mean, they want to go buy a TV and it's just... Uh, it yeah, just yeah it's, a really, really, it's a really weird thing 
and there's no there's no consistency there's there's no rhyme or reason which makes it really frustrating makes it really like right yeah you can go there's nothing to stop you from going and hanging out at walmart but we're gonna really <laughs> we're gonna really stand up to uh well, smaller business uh, i mean really like it's what it came down to yeah, that's what it does come down to, and for all for all the uh, lip service, I guess about you know how well, we always got to support small business. Um, right, in the middle yeah. class and everything. Well, this is. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's I mean, right. That's the thing that I've been thinking about too. Is is um, this is affecting mostly, you know, middle class people or or people who who don't make a lot of money. Yeah, low middle class. Um, doing I jobs, mean, of, doing jobs that can't be done at home on a computer. And, um, right. My brother's in manufacturing, you know, welding and all that. Right. He's laid off, and my sister's laid off. My mom's laid off. You know, it's most of my family is laid off right now, and uh, most of my family is lower middle to mid middle. Yeah. Yeah, you would think, um, you know, with as much gear that guys wear welding, they could go to work and <laughs> be all right. <laughs> Gloves and helmets on. and um, Yeah, that's, I mean. Well, he's not actually a welder at this job. He's assembly for parts. Okay. I just said that he does well, too. And, sure. But I know that most people are, most people are off right now that I know. Yeah, it's 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 really tough, and I think everybody understands there's a threat out there, and we have to be careful and and all of that. But the um, the arresting well, people for going to yeah, the beach. You know, honestly, the, I'm you know, in my situation, I'm one of the people at high risk. Right. I'm not higher risk to catch it. I'm high risk to have, um, you know, complications sure. if I get it. So yeah, I. I understand the need to be safe, but I would never expect someone to not live their life to reduce my risk. It's not even to help or save me. It's just to maybe reduce my risk a little bit. I fully understand I'm going to catch this at some point, and the longer I wait, the better, because there'll be more treatments available and such, but I I won't stop living my life out of risk of uh, catching it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, that's the alternative. You you just hold up in your house for the rest of your life, and and uh, and maybe then that that's not even enough to. I mean, you can't fully Same. lock out all contact. I mean, if you if you have food delivered or whatever, there's like there's risk. Right, you know? it's it's impossible to have the hundred percent thing. So it's all a, a sliding scale. Yeah, and you know, people expect others to. Uh, be forced not to do things or to do things just to maybe improve where they lie on that scale a little bit. <laughs> That's all I can reason that it comes down to. Yeah, I think it's a... I'm, I'm finding it actually frightening the um, the overzealousness with which some people want to uh, curb the movements of other people. It's 
it's it's frankly a little bit shocking and and I I just don't understand that impulse at all. I think you know, you don't want yeah, to see anybody no... being reckless, obviously, but Right. You know, but but still that but doesn't But whether whether or not I think the whole of the country and everyone around me is being perfect and not doing anything they shouldn't and not going anywhere I would still take the precautions I need to take because you, you know what I'm trying to say. So well, yeah, people, you're, you're right. You're in charge of your life, and you're going to make decisions. Whether people yeah. act right, whether they act different or not, I'm still going to do what I do. You know, to protect myself. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm not going to expect them to bend over backwards necessarily. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just infuriating because it's 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 obvious it's it's really obvious that someone trying to open a gallery is not the thing that's going to uh, rain down, uh, you know, pestilence upon the <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not just going to be a an epicenter of the spread right there. Or something. Right, right. I mean they they don't have you know, dozens of people going through there at any one time. Right. And they can absolutely control how many people they do let in the doors. So it's, it's a, um, everything's a risk, but, uh, that's, that's the thing is, 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 um, you know, I've been hearing people who I respect talk about there's, there's always trade-offs. There's, there's positives and negatives and those things you have to weigh. And, um, I'm of the opinion that the uh, that the continuing this is 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 an overwhelming negative and um yep yep at this point it's pretty much I don't know I can't justify it in any way anymore yeah <laughs> you know I was I was sympathetic at the beginning for a couple of weeks but Right, yeah, I think no. everyone was. I think everyone right. was was like, "Whoa, okay. Well, let's, you know, this is serious. We've got to really take precautions here." You know, I, everyone was open to really having their lives disrupted, but it seemed like it was necessary, and I, I you know, I think most people right. were 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 on board, um, but the more information that comes out and you feel like you're not getting all the information and you feel right. like well, even more, maybe you might be not told the truth by the authorities. Yeah. The, it's the more dubious the claims become, the more sickening it gets. Cause right. when you can't be definitive about any one way of anything, then you should really just let people decide. So, and, and, uh, and there's been a real moving of the goalposts. You know, the, the yeah, first exactly. thing was, uh, well, we're going to we're going to make sure that the hospitals aren't overwhelmed. And if we can just flatten that curve, then we can start to open things back up again. People are going to get sick. But we the thing we have to make sure of is that we have enough we have enough beds in the hospitals and we have enough masks and we have enough ventilators. And but once we kind of secure that, we can kind of you know, start to start to ease up some of those lockdown things. And all those things have happened, except the lockdown keeps getting extended. So, Yep, I know. You know, it's like they think that not one hospital anywhere in the country should be overwhelmed. <laughs> well, that's just unrealistic. It, it's unrealistic. You know, we were, well, 
Yeah, go ahead. We were told that, you know, every hospital was going to just be crazy. Well, in my area here in the Fox Valley, you know, it's several cities together when you combine them, but like, mm-hmm. you know, 150,000 people say there's three people that are hospitalized right now for COVID. Wow. Three. Wow. And we have, we have, you know, four, five, maybe major hospitals between Oshkosh and Appleton. And so they've shut down, you know, a quarter of all businesses just to, oh, to keep on. the hospitals empty, you know? And I mean, I understand we can't let the hospitals get overwhelmed, but we can't, destroy every other industry just to protect the healthcare industry. Well, yeah, if that's, no... if that's the goal, then you have to look and say, have we reached that goal? If we've right. got a total of three people hospitalized with this thing in, in, <laughs> in a large area, clearly you've achieved that goal of not being overwhelmed. So now we can ease up on this thing. Right. I mean, Start easing up and then wait a week and see what happens at the hospital. Right. Ease up a little bit more. I'd be, you know, and then see what happens. I'm fine with letting the hospitals be the standard, but at least give us a standard, not this. Oh, first it's flattening the well, curve, yeah, and then right. it's hospitals, and, and now it's standard. no one getting it. Apparently, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I mean, set the standard and stick to it. Right. You know, if that's the standard, okay. Um, stick to that. Don't. Don't set right. a standard and then have us meet the standard and then. <laughs> well, and it doesn't have to be a uh, one size fits all standard either. Like, right. you don't have to shut down the whole state because hospitals in Milwaukee are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Do it by city or county or whatever. When your county is becoming a little bit heavier with the hospital thing, then you know maybe you can pull something. But I don't know. I just think it at least should be by city. Oh, well, yeah. Or county. The goal should be, let's disrupt people's lives as little as absolutely possible. Right. Not, let's just destroy people's lives. Well, but you're not allowed to be um, happy and content if everyone else around you isn't also happy and taken care of. That's just what it seems to come down to for me. Right, you know, the minute right. I say anything, yeah. oh, you got yours, so screw everybody else, right? <laughs> well, no, but <laughs> right. so because one other person on the planet is suffering, I'm not allowed to live my life? Yeah, it's a real strange thing where there's no consideration given to actual sort of individual people. There's right. a, there's a one size fits all take and if yeah I mean we don't do this under any other circumstance right I mean there's a, there's a lot of terrible things happening in the world all the time right. and um because of it we don't change anything about our lives we can we don't, we don't stop what we're doing because there are terrible things going on in wherever uh, I think it's a reflection of how people deal with their own life, though. They can't make everything fit into place the way they want, so they kind of just give up on it, mm. you know? And so I think that's the way it is with other people, with their dealing with other people, too. Sure, sure. They can't get people to do everything they want, so they just give up and on reasoning with them, and they want to force them to do everything. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a scary thing. Um, well, all right. Let's talk about happier things. <laughs> um, that, that, I mean, that's what the such what makes it so frustrating is that there's just how little control that we have right now over right over our own lives, and um, in a country where that's supposed to be primary. Exactly. Um, and the people are cheering it on, or you know, well, yeah, majority the, are right. are totally and the, the, the yeah. That's I don't get that. Like, um, I mean. You know, it's just, it's the, the people that are, this is what they want, so. Yeah. All Democracy right. at its best. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't believe Elon Musk um, is one of the people who are, who are like, um, hey, this is America. <laughs> Can we? Right? <laughs> uh, we're supposed to be free people here. Let's... He is so, you know, one day here and the next day there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Pretty, pretty fascinating guy. Right. <laughs> um, when he chooses to remember certain things like that and when he doesn't. But. All right, John, let's move on. <clears throat> um, let's talk about I want to start with. So you're you're a fascinating guy yourself to me <laughs> i came to to sort of know who you are um through your through your paintings and and mostly still life paintings first which are um, right. just really beautiful and thank then you. as are yours oh thank you um and then kind of learning more about you i started to see your self-portraits which are probably probably the my favorite stuff of your work because they're so they're so personal they're so compelling and um it, it's clear that that's uh, that's been an important outlet for you um I'll, so i'll just Absolutely. mention one, one thing i read in your bio here before calling you up was that you're diagnosed at birth with um a disease called osteogenesis imperfecta so I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, because there's there seems to be, well not seems to be there is in your self portraits you're really you're really putting a lot of personal information out there with with your struggle with that uh, with that diagnosis and everything and um, so I just wanted to see if you could tell us about those self portraits and and how they've played a role in in uh, just overall in your life. Um, well, they were just, you know, basically they were fundamental in me um, building a sense of self or uh, self-esteem. I was uh, pretty depressed in high school and even college and stuff. Um, and Just normal, normal adolescent stuff or... Um, you know, a combination. I mean, dealing with the disability was always yeah. um, a struggle to in, on its own. But, um, like, when I was born, I was born with 13 broken bones. Oh, my gosh. And then um, they diagnosed me about a day after with uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. And then um, my childhood was, you know, 
couple fractures a year usually at least. Mm. Um, and then as I got older, I got a little stronger and everything. Um, and my bone fractured less frequently. And then, um, but I was kind of left with a, a real deep anxiety and then some depression from it all. I think, yeah. you know, I, I would be living my life and then it could be taken from me at any moment if I fractured. Cause, right. Um, especially if I fractured a long bone, like a, a femur or something, then I had to be in a, a spike of cast, oh. which is a cast from your chest to your toes. And, um, that was about three months. So uh. my life, uh, you know, would just be literally put on hold or pause. Yeah. And, you know, for a couple months at a time. And, you know, that looming over me gave me a sense of anxiety about everything, I think. It took me a long time to get over that. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't have any sense of self-esteem. Um, I looked to other people too much to solve my problems. Mm. And they solved my problems too much for me, I would say. But uh, Well, I mean, it's pretty understandable having um, right. having a disability like that. Right. I would. I mean, those three months, I was absolutely, completely dependent on my parents to take care of me from bathroom stuff to food to yeah. entertainment. You know, I was literally laying in bed for three months mm. without being able to sit up straight. Oh, my God. Um, so I had to come up with all kinds of creative ways to keep me um, active. Plus, the first 10 years of my life was grew up on a farm. So there wasn't like... Oh, wow. Tons of kids around. I mean, family, but mm-hmm. cousins and stuff. But still, they weren't like right, right there or anything. Um, so my parents gave me, you know, whatever they could to do, and I gravitated towards the creative type stuff almost all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it gave me that connection to reality that I wasn't getting by going and playing outside. Sure. You know, I wasn't going and playing in the sandbox or riding my bike down the road, but um, making things, I think, satisfied something about that for me. And so I I drew everything, and I liked to make crafts and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. it was totally my, my only sense of control and sense of worth and, you know, it it gave me everything I needed. But by the time I got to high school and college, the anxiety and depression were always there, and they made me kind of suicidal as well. Mm. And I did attempt suicide in college. Oh, my gosh. And I was in the hospital for a few days and everything, but that kind of reset me in the sense that I knew I had to either figure out how to fix it, you know, or make myself want to live. Yeah. Or, you know, or give up then for sure. But... So I started, you know, thinking about it more. And around that time, I was in college, and my painting professor, one of his main assignments was to have us do self-portraits. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have us do lots of self-portraits during the semester. Um, and he would think from mirrors to picture, you know, to photos. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I absolutely loathed it. I mm. did not like, you know... I, yeah, you're already depressed and and right. You're just suffering from anxiety. You, you don't want to look at yourself and really <laughs> exactly don't like your. You know, even in high school, they tried to get me to do self portraits, and I did a couple, but I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so he, but he made us do just 
all the time. And then he made us do, you know, a little bit deeper ones. And so, um, right around this time, um, I had been recovering from my suicide attempt and I had been reading the Fountainhead, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I had been doing these self portraits. And so, um, so what kind of fueled, I, I mean, the Fountainhead is one of those books that, that, um, no matter where you're at in your life can can just really pump you up and give you a lot of energy right. and, and make you want to kind of go out and take on the world. So I can imagine um, now I just I'd be interested to hear what the the effect that that had on you at that time. Well, it's hard, you know, it's hard to remember because I've read it a few times, obviously. Yeah. Um, but back then. um I mean, there were a couple ideas that stuck with me right away immediately that I thought, oh, my God, no one's ever said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, like when one of the things for sure is when Rourke talks about um, um, doing the work for its own sake, for your own joy in it. He doesn't do it for clients and he doesn't do it for the money necessarily. He, he has clients do more work. Right. You, you remember those lines? Yeah. So that was like, yeah. oh, no one's ever expressed it that way before. And that's exactly, you know. Yeah. What was it? I don't, I don't, I don't work to have clients or something. I have clients so that I can work. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. And that's exactly how I always looked at my work. But when anyone ever talked to me about it, it was always in the opposite sense, you know, like uh, you work to have clients or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, so that kind of stuck with me right away. And then obviously the message of, um, egoism. Um, I was always skeptical of altruism, even well before Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I realized early on that there was something deceptive about it, mm-hmm. something, um, insincere. And one experience I can definitely go back to my childhood with is, well, there's a few, but um, a friend of mine in high school, she, we hung out all the time, and someone once said to her that, oh, they were so proud of her, and she's such a good person for being friends with me. And she told me this. And I, oh, it just, like, confused me. Cringe, and I'm yeah. like, well, well, why, what uh. do you mean? You'd be friends with me for any other reason other than you don't, you just don't, you like hanging out with me? Right. And it always stuck with me. And when Ayn talked about it in the Fountainhead, or Ayn Rand talked about it in the Fountainhead, um, that really stuck out to me mm-hmm. that, you know, that you you do certain things because you truly value those things, not out of some sense of duty or, mm-hmm. you know, for other ulterior motives and whatever. And that conversation that that person had with my friend has stuck, I think, in my head and made me, in, uh, uh, I never trust what people tell me anymore. When they tell me, oh, I really like this, or you're doing great, you know, I immediately, oh, you're just saying that because I'm the guy in the wheelchair and you want to feel good about yourself, mm. thinking you're making me feel good, you know, and so I'm I'm skeptical of everyone's motive from that point on, yeah. and so um, I had to get over that to yeah, but, was just, are you still that skeptical, or was that something it, that really was was part of that time period? Um, it, it's definitely better, but I still, you know, 
I I read into things too much sometimes. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's it's impossible, not impossible, but yeah, it's difficult. I think it's difficult not to, and I can I can definitely understand under those circumstances. Sure. So I'm just curious, was that friend? How did that friend react? Like, oh, she thought it was weird. Um, she she you know was a straight up Christian and everything, but she you know she told me that um, she thought it was weird too, okay. and that. And that, uh, you know, we have fun. Yeah. I knew that she hung out. You know, that's the thing is I knew it wasn't yeah. that case with her. And she knew that I knew that. And so it was just kind of we, you know, it was kind of one of those things you brush off and never really talk about again. But I I realized how much it stuck in my head as a little thing, you know, looking back. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's something. Well, and I think uh, it, good. it also pushed me to like at least within the art realm where I have full control, it pushed me mm. to really please myself. Yeah. Because if I knew I thought it was good, then it, you know, whether they were faking it or not, or, you know, just telling yeah. me, yeah. you know, that it didn't matter so much. Mm-hmm. Well, I so, think so I much know. of us, so much of us, I, I in particular, I mean, I obviously I can't talk for you, but, but I, uh, you know, we're so many of us are our own, are really tough on ourselves anyway. And so, yeah, if we can please ourselves, I think that's always got to be the uh, <laughs> the standard. The standard, yeah, exactly. Um, but I totally get, I totally get your point, and and that's um, it is so crucial. It is so crucial to make sure that that you're pleasing yourself with your work, no matter what. Yes. And um, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of outside voices and things that I mean. I still hear. I still hear certain voices and and uh, feel a, a pull in in certain directions sometimes. Yep. But yeah, that's you just you don't have any control. Even if you tried to figure out what what uh, someone was going to buy or what someone was going to like. Um, you're probably going to be wrong most of the time, so <laughs> you know you really gotta. You really have the only thing you have that you can really rely on is um, is satisfying yourself, and obviously that's the thing I think ultimately that people are going to gravitate towards anyway. Right. Well, and it if you're doing that, you're naturally going to be more honest and sincere. I think too. Yeah, and it has to be that that that's going to be your best work. And um, right, yeah, going back to those self portraits, I think that's why they're so yeah. they're so like they're just so interesting because I was yeah start, you know using them to try and get over the the to being completely honest with myself mm-hmm. using them to you know really look and they're all different little lessons um, each painting kind of but they all fit together. And there's even a timeline to the portraits. So, yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> and there's, but, uh, and so yeah, some of those things. I was they're 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 large and they're diptychs and they're triptychs and they're like, I was like, <laughs> just impressed with the scope of the work and then obviously the you know the quality and the um the content. But oh, thank you. Yeah, well, actually, um, I had done so many self portraits in college because of 
that those classes that um, during my senior show, I was asked by a local college if I would do a self-portrait show for them in a year. Wow. And so it gave me the opportunity to just work on more self-portraits then. Oh, cool. Which, you know, isn't always the case that you can do. Um, yeah, you need right. to make money yeah. and do some pot, pot boilers or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, so I ended up making a whole bunch more and then, um, you know, it led to a nice collection of them. So. That's really great. But the first one I did was um, called Gemini because I'm a Gemini, mm -hmm. but I always felt that, you know, I was a different person based on my mood, mm. you know, or that my emotions and my reasons would fight each other or that people saw me one way, but I felt a completely different way. And so that was kind of the first, it was a double self-portrait. And uh, yeah, that was the first one in college that really got me onto it, to the conceptual side, probably. Yeah, well, that's an interesting point. Of is the self-portrait. Yeah, it gives you a, a real outlet for that, for that conceptual. And that was one of the things that was so impressive to me. It's just like, wow, how... how... Like you put together some really interesting compositions and and uh, what's the one with the scaffolding and you're like handing yourself <laughs> yeah. things and <laughs> that one is like uh yeah it's 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 a little bit mind blowing it's really impressive yeah that one was um that was called commemoration mm -hmm. and yeah it's a portrait of me painting five of me painting one giant portrait of myself yeah. <laughs> Um, That's such a cool and was, idea, and then the execution was was oh, really you. you really nailed it. It was um, kind of the yin to the yang of another painting. Um, the other one I did was called Pity Party, mm -hmm. um, and that one was five of me sitting around a table, just kind of drinking and smoking, and you know, wallowing until pity, basically. But that was one of the other main lessons I learned as a fountain head was the futility of self pity, and you know why why. Sorry, um, uh, and why I would pity myself sometimes. Yeah. Um, Fountainhead made me question that. You know, I'd never really, you know, it was all connected with my depression and my outlook. And sure. Um, so I realized that instead of having a pity party, I needed to commemorate my life and seek a new identity and rebuild myself. And so that's what commemoration was about. Wow. Um, yeah, kind of the goal. It's a, it's I think a really healthy way to deal with that. You're not, you're not completely dismissing that that's what you were going through and that's what you were doing. But I think, I think making an entire painting, sort of commemorating <laughs> that, you know, you had okay. the, you had those moments of, of going. Oh, you, know, you mean pity party? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, um, right. Well, and I'm. The painting isn't necessarily shown in a positive light either. You know, it's kind of dark. And, yeah. Um, it's meant to show my change in view of that that practice, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and then commemoration is meant to show that I need to work on myself and that you're not piteous. Sure, sure. I love that. I love that showing the... Um, showing the, the growth. Like... Um, right. I... Well, actually, there's a painting between the two that I created after I did the two. Um, it's called Leaving the Pity Party. Yeah. <laughs> My alma mater, alma mater actually bought it. Um, 
Oh, wow. It's a picture of me um, kind of leading myself out of a door. Uh-huh. Like, it's meant to represent getting out of your own head, go back out into the world and enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and so there's reference to Pity Park in there, in mm-hmm. that painting, but it's more of a showing the progress mm-hmm. from Pity Party to commemoration. Yeah, it's it's so compelling. I love that. It's um I mean it's it's sort of a a, a heroic archetype, right? That kind of journey. Um I love that in movies. Like um one movie yeah. that I I remembered I I sort of talked about it uh a while back on on a different episode of this podcast, but and it's been a couple of years now since I've seen it, but a movie that I just loved is called Southpaw. Have you seen that movie? No, I haven't, but I've heard of it. Man, it's just such a, it's like moments in that thing that are such a gut punch. But <laughs> you see a guy who's just couldn't get lower. I mean, just everything, mm-hmm. everything sort of taken away. A guy who's sort of standing on top of the world one moment and it all sort of comes crashing down. And then the movie is just him very slowly kind of realizing, oh, I've just everything. I've just let everything go. Um, and not all of it was, was uh, you know, under his control, but but his life just completely crashes around him. And, and, and the movie is him recognizing that at some point. Took a little while. Wow. For, took a little while for him to sort of come to terms with it, right? And then sort of recognizing it and then just slowly working day by day to build it back up. And it just, the pacing of the movie is so good that... It makes you feel that. Yeah, you really go through it and you really feel it all. And it's so, like, the payoff is so is so good. I really like that movie. It's Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's a he's a okay. boxer. And, um, yeah, I know I've heard about it or some other people talking about it. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really loved it. There was another one that came out recently... That I thought was going to be, I was hoping was going to be uh, the same kind of thing. It it fell. It didn't have the emotional impact, not not nearly. But it's um, oh, came out real recently with uh, Ben Affleck. Um, darn, the title's escaping me right now. It's one of those movies that would have been in the movie theater right now, but you can watch it on oh, okay. Amazon or whatever because all the movie theaters are closed. Darn, I can't think of the title right now. Um, anyway, he's a um. Stuff happens. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but um, goes through some goes through some bad stuff. As you know, separation, marriage separation, and drinking a lot, and kind of has a chance to come back as a as a high school basketball coach. He's a former high school basketball okay. star, and you know, is a you know, it's a redemption story. Um, and sure. it's it's okay. It just doesn't have anywhere near the uh, emotional okay. impact and pacing that the other one does, but. Anyway, but I love, I just, I love that. That's just such a, a, a great, um, whatever story <laughs> arc that yeah. uh, is so powerful. Um, yeah. That's so, totally um, John, story. another thing I want to talk to you about are, so on, on top of the oil painting that you do, you do these incredible, you do this incredible glass work that kind of blows my mind. um so you do stained glass you do um lamp work 
I don't know yep. anything about any of this stuff, so I, <laughs> I would appreciate if if you just you know maybe just just talk about it. Give me a little bit of lesson. What? How'd you get into that? What kind of? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the glass. Okay, so <laughs> what got me interested in glasswork originally were probably two things when I was really young. Um, one thing was I was um, part of a study protocol at the National Institutes of Health, and so I was actually flown to Washington D.C. Um, every three months. Oh wow! So they could run tests on me, basically. Wow. Um, and that went on for about five years, I think. So I was to Washington D.C. You know, more than a dozen times, and. Um, one of my favorite places to go actually was the National Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just I, I was very into the medieval actual thing. Yeah, you know when I was a kid, <laughs> and that was the closest thing I had ever come to, yeah. to being actually in something like that. So I was blown away, and their stained glass there is magnificent. Mm. It's still to this day my favorite. Um, really cool. In in style and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have a window there. It's called the Moon Window or the Space Window. And oh, I just, I can't even explain it. It's such a magnificent piece, but it actually has a piece of the moon set into it as a planet in the whole window. It, it just, it blew my mind when I was a kid. And so, um, you know, just the sense of awe that that place gave me, I think impacted me greatly. Yeah. And then, so the second thing that happened was I was, Addicted to watching Bob Ross when I was a kid. <laughs> and yeah. so I watched it, you know, religiously right after cartoons every Saturday morning on PBS. Mm-hmm. And so, but after his show, there was another woman that came on that did stained glass. Oh, cool. And yeah, I watched that show then and I fell in love with the process and knowing the awe that I had for the finished product. Yeah. I was dead set on trying it someday. Yeah. Um, and come to find out my dad's cousin was an art teacher and she had some supplies. And so when I was um, a sophomore, I think she showed me, you know, the basics. Yeah. And um, then I took a class in college and, or I mean in high school and we did a a small window um, in that class. And then I just started picking up the tools and doing it in my parents' basement, the, the stained glass windows. Yeah. Wow. And so that's, that's primarily where you cut the pieces of sheet glass into shapes, and then you put it together with lead and solder yeah. and copper foil. It's like building a, a glass puzzle in a way. Wow. And I did everything in high school from the panels to lampshades, stepping stones, um, you know, anything I could try with the glass work. So I, do I loved you, it. like... Do you have like a big sheet of glass and then sort of draw on top of it your design and then make the cuts? Yeah. Okay. You like, like if you think of a wood inlay, I don't know if you're familiar with those at all, but it's very similar where you, you know, you pick out your grain of wood and then you cut out the shape and inlay mm-hmm. it in next to another shape of wood that's maybe a different grain. Right. It's, it's like the same thing. You just pick different sheets of glass and lay them next to each other like that. Okay. Um, so yeah, you get big sheets and you trace out 
the one shape you need out of that sheet, you know, on the spot. Oh, so you're you're combining different sheets of glass? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, so... Um, you For different just, sort of textures and things like that? Or? Right, different textures, different colors, different transparencies. Okay. Um, All right. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask, too, is if you if you actually color color the glass, but the glass is already... I can. Yeah. I can do that. That's called literally staining the glass Yeah. or glass painting, okay. and I just learned how to do that um, last year, actually. Oh, nice. But there's... So there's also something called glass fusing, where you just take sheets of glass and melt them together. You can stack them on top of each other. You can lay them on molds and bend them, but... So a long time ago, they couldn't figure out how to mix different colors of glass and make them melt together. They would crack apart because every color has a different um, rate of molecular expansion. Oh wow! And when you and when you when you add different colors, it it um, changes that mm-hmm. um, coefficient of expansion. And so you can't just melt any glass together, um, like especially when it's all different colors. Right. Unless you know the specific recipe. And they've come up with specific recipes now where you can buy special glass that can be melted with itself, you know, all the colors and everything. Uh-huh. But it's really expensive. Yeah. But before they figured all this out, they still wanted to figure out a way to get all the glass to be different colors but stay together. Right. So that's where the lead, the lead work comes in. Mm-hmm. They would just cut the different pieces apart and then let it together. And is and that would... still like the most common way of, of working with it? Oh, yeah, a lot of people still do that. Yeah. And then considering the fact that the leaded windows need to be um, re-leaded every, at least every 100 years, especially in the churches and stuff. Oh, wow. You know, there's people whose whole profession is just restoring church windows. So it's, And then they teach other people how to do it. So that, that's probably not going to die out for a long time. But the competing um, technique with that would be the fusing. Mm-hmm. Where now you can just melt the colors together in any pattern you want, hmm. and you don't have to deal with the lead anymore. But you need a kiln. Do you what? Which way do you prefer aesthetically? Oh, I still really love the leaded glass. I like the boldness of the line. Yeah, and I can use the line work in the design. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's. But actually, I enjoy using fused pieces within a leaded design you can mm. do that too yeah. so I, I like to mix and match my techniques if i can mm-hmm. nice and have you found but, like um is that something that you're doing commercially or is that something that you do you know just just for fun um or both 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 yeah. well everything yeah. everything i do is both commercial <laughs> and for fun yeah um but yeah i do stained glass commissions um been mostly portrait and painting commissions the last couple of years. I only had a few stained glass here and there. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing some and giving them to Cordier Fine Arts, so they're selling a few of them. <clears throat> but, cool. uh, how labor-intensive is that? Like, how, how long does, um, let's say, what's the average piece that, size piece that you make? <laughs> um, oh, gosh, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, like, 16 by 20 is kind of an average size panel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just depends on the pattern mm-hmm. that's in it. You know, I could have a a piece with 50 different colored, 
pieces of glass shapes in it, or I could have one with a thousand pieces all oh, within sure. the same size yeah, right. window <clears throat> or panel. Yeah. So it just depends on the complexity of the pattern. Yeah. Um, it can take anywhere from 50 hours to 200 hours to design, cut, and put together a whole window. Wow. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. but I also do the lamp working, like you mentioned. So when I was in high school, my our teacher knew how much I was into the glass work. She got me into a little um, workshop to make glass beads. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you take different colored glass rods and you wrap them around a steel stick. <clears throat> it's called a mandrel. And then when the glass cools, you pull it off the stick and you have a bead. And so, oh, cool. Um, and you could do this with just a little torch. Yeah. You, can, you could you could buy from you know Menards or Lowe's or whatever. And so it's like a handheld torch. That you, yeah, like yeah. it had to be map gas, you know, the yellow, the yellow paint, because it burns just a little bit hotter than propane, and it was enough to melt this type of glass that you'd use. It was really soft glass, huh. really low melting temperature. Yeah. And so, yeah, I fell in love with that, and I would just sit and make beads in my parents' basement for a long time. <laughs> and then when I got to college, um, I actually got in ceramics for a couple of years and thought I was going to go that direction. But then huh. um, I was also taking sculpture and my sculpture professor offered um, to give me credits to just independently study lamp working <clears throat> oh, wow. as, as sculpture. Cool. So that's what I did. He gave me a spot and everything in the basement of the art building. And I just um, learned how to do the, so the, the beadworking kind of transformed into lamp working and um that's just what lamp working is is glass blowing with a torch okay. so i could make bigger things like marbles and perfume bottles and you know sculptural stuff so how um, do you make i mean what's the so you got a marble which is you know obviously a solid piece of glass and then and then a uh, perfume bottle which you know, it's not a container, which is not <laughs> solid piece of glass. <laughs> uh, those those must be very different processes. Yeah, in a way. Um, okay. I can cross the processes. Like I can start with a blown piece and turn it into a marble, and sometimes I can turn a marble into a blown piece. Um, it just depends on what you're, what look you're trying to get. So. Um, a regular marble, I would just start with a big stick of glass, and I would add colors to the stick and twist and manipulate the glass. And then I roll the hot glass in a graphite mold that hmm. is shaped like a marble, kind of. Oh, and wow. It okay. Speeds, it speeds up the process. If I were to sit and turn hot glass on the end of a stick, <laughs> gravity would naturally turn it into a perfect sphere if I were consistent. Oh, wow. But it would... It would take a long time. Yeah. Um, so interesting. And it would be. And you'd have to be perfectly and, consistent, right? Like you said. And I'd have to be pretty. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. know that it was perfect. Yeah. So I roll it in the mold to speed things up and to make sure it's perfectly round. Yeah. Um, but I could take that marble before I rolled it and put it on the end of another tube of glass. Okay. And then blow that out. Uh-huh. Get that marble hot and then add air. You know, blow air into the other end of this glass tube. And the marble would expand out into a uh, a chamber or whatever. Wow! And so, so, so when you're doing that, making a making a chamber, how do you control? Um, 
So I guess obviously it depends on how much glass is at the end of that thing that you're blowing into, right? As far as how big you can make it or your, right. your options exactly. of, of what of what you're going to make there, right? Um, but wow, yeah, I, I have, so have do some you idea. Do, do you do anything like, um, I guess it's called cut glass or something with uh, like texture on the outside of the... Uh, on well, the... that's that's probably what you're thinking is like cold working where you're like faceting the glass and polishing it maybe. Maybe. Or, or etching it. Well, just... Um... Or you can sandblast it. Just a, a, um, a, any kind of a tactical uh, design, I guess, on the on the outside of a. a oh, like a sculptural thing. Yeah. More. Right. Yeah, right. I I can do that too. Like, you know, like the guys on YouTube that make the little horse or something. I can do that kind of stuff too. Oh, wow. Or I or like you suggest, I could add a texture to the marble. Yeah. I could add lumps and dots. Or, right, 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 right. Or crushed glass to give it a a rough feeling. Uh huh. So I have, you know, that kind of control, but, um, I love the, um, the, um, like the outer space, the, the stars and that kind of stuff that you're, uh, that you're making with those, are those pendants? Yeah. The glass jewelry pieces. Yeah. yeah. I make, I'm, I've made the pendants, um, a lot. They were an easy thing to learn on when I was beginning on the, the big torch. Mm -hmm. When I moved up from bead making, mm -hmm. I made a lot of marbles and a lot of pendants. Yeah. Um, those but, kind of, I guess those are kind of things that you that you start with when you're learning the uh, learning. The yeah, process. well, and people bought them, and you know, yeah. so it was nice. Uh, double benefit there for that part, but. Um, well, yeah, I guess as far the, as um, something that you um, can make and and sell, I would and imagine sell. that there and practice. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, to be able to do all three with one thing is kind of not always the case in art. Well, um, yeah, no kidding. And we're and probably hitting a pretty a pretty uh, nice price point, something that people can, can afford pretty easily, right? Exactly. And they're quick to make, usually, yeah. depending on what I'm doing. But, um, yeah, I had made a lot of floral-type things where you, you manipulate the glass so that it it kind of turns inside out the colors that you apply to the outside of the glass uh -huh. um, sphere get pulled into the inside and it looks like a little flower. Oh, wow. Or a little oh, underwater okay. scene. Yeah, I know the I know the look you're talking about. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, they're called um, implosions, glass implosions. And so I did a ton of that. I love that stuff. Oh, but now, cool. actually, um, I've been playing with the space theme for a couple of years, trying mm. to perfect it, you know, and... And other people do it. I, I'm not the only one that does the outer yeah. space glass. There's a couple really famous people that do some stuff with it. But um, I just like playing with it. And then I, uh, one of the ways to color glass is with silver. Oh. Um, and so a common coloring technique with lamp working, especially if you're working with borosilicate glass, which is the type of glass I work with, that just means it's a high melting temperature. It's very hard. Oh, okay. Um, so what are the resists. benefits of that? It just, it, it it's just less shock. brittle? And... Like, so whenever glass is heating up or cooling down at too great of a rate, it's um, risking shocking, and it'll just crack or even explode. Okay. Yeah. Oh, if, wow. Uh, if the stress is great enough within it. Yeah. So, I mean, you can mitigate that by slowing the cooling 
or the heating with the kiln, you know, because you can set specific temperatures and ramps and things. Mm-hmm. So, but with Pyrex or with borosilicate, you don't have to worry about that as much. Yeah. It, the glass doesn't shock nearly as much. It's just more stable. Yeah. And so I can do more elaborate things. I can answer my phone and set it down and not worrying about it exploding by the time I come back, you know, wow. or, or cracking. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then you can do different things with colors, but then there's also colors you just can't get either. Mm-hmm. They, um, you can get a lot more colors with lower melting temperature glass. Um, but, you know, it's a trade-off like everything. <laughs> but one of the colorants yeah. to use that often uses silver and gold, and you you uh, it's called fuming, and you take the silver or the gold, and you put a little piece on the end of a glass rod, and you put it in your flame to the hottest it will get in order to vaporize the gold or the silver. And then those vapors, you know, that fume, yeah. um, you catch that on another piece of glass up in the top of the flame, and it the silver literally transform, transfers onto the surface of a new piece of glass and colors it. Um, and oh the more gosh. you melt it, the more you melt it together, the different, uh, the more the colors will change. Um, and so I knew that silver um, did that to glass. So I always was curious to see what, if I took a little piece of silver and, and filed it off so I had tiny little silver dust and shavings, hmm. what would happen if I just, kind of stamped a hot piece of glass on that and sure enough it made perfect stars oh wow. well come to find out come to find out on youtube a couple people have already figured that out and i could have <laughs> totally learned that already but whatever <laughs> yeah um so i much more satisfying the way you did it it it, it really was yeah. um and so That's i started cool. playing with that and trying to get different uh, effects with the silver dust nice. and uh you know that's basically what it is and people People are loving it, so I get to play and sell, so it's nice. That's really cool. So where do you sell those through? Um, there's a gallery in, in Madison here, Wisconsin, that sells some, and there's also a gallery in Appleton, Wisconsin here, that sells some. Cool. But I also sell them over Facebook. Nice. Um, you know, every once in a while I'll post one, and I tend to sell them right away when I post them. Oh, so. that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So what are you working on? What's going on right now in your studio? What what do you have? Uh, what what's fresh? What's happening? Um, well, right now in the glass studio, I'm working on these um, like flower sculptures slash chalices. I don't know. They're <laughs> kind of my own thing. Cool. But cool. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, with the Venetian chalice. They're really intricate glass yeah. goblets. Oh, cool. Um, I I really love love them and the technique that's involved with them so I'm trying to make my own style with them on the torch and so instead of putting a cup on the top I just put like a flower on top oh interesting um, and kind of make it half sculptural half uh, representation or whatever Uh but um, so I've been playing with those I'm trying to my mom's birthday is today so I'm trying to make one for her out of red it's her favorite very cool Um, and I'm not good with red yet, but anyway, uh-huh. so in there, I'm just basically working on those kinds of things, and then um, I'm also starting to take apart some damaged stained glass 
that needs to be repaired. So, um, yeah, one of my stained glass uh, didn't survive the Napa earthquake a couple years ago. Oh. It came out of the window, and yeah, it's not in good shape. I'm finally getting around to fixing it. But um, uh, other than that, not much else in the glass studio right now. Mm -hmm. We just did a bunch of reorganizing, so I'm glad that's over with. Nice. And then, but in the painting studio, I'm doing a, um, well, a commission that the quarters got me. Cool. Um, some roses. Nice. A big, big paintings of roses. Oh, and excellent. Then, um, excellent. There's a doctor in California or uh, Canada who works with people with my disability, and he's commissioned me to do a piece for a company that makes medical supplies for people with my disability. So. Um, I'm kind of working on that along with the roses. Cool. Is that kind of a technical piece, or it's a little bit yeah. because I, but it's more conceptual. Actually, he wanted lots of symbolism. Oh, okay, cool. So this company is celebrating their 20th anniversary of making these special rods uh-huh. uh, for kids with osteogenesis. Yeah, and <clears throat> so I did a painting with involving a lot of x-rays, um, x-rays that have those rods in it. Uh-huh. And then some kids sitting on a bone looking at all the x-rays. Oh, wow. And it's three kids because there's three countries that were involved in this somehow. And I don't know. It, you know, nice. he wanted all this symbolism in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it ended up being kind of a real conceptual-looking piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, hopefully I can get that done soon. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, John, it's been it's been really fun talking. Um, there's a couple things I wanted oh, to yeah. ask before we wrap up here. Okay. Um, one thing I think is kind of a fun question that uh, I started asking in my my last interview is is if there's um, you don't have to just give give one if more more things pop up, but I'm just curious if there's any if there's a uh, we'll, we'll put a cap on three, but you don't you don't have to go to, to three. But if there's uh, any any living artist whose work that you could own, who might who might that be? Who would be your first your top choice? Um. Well, right off the top of my head, I can say that I'd love to have a piece of Casey Boss. Um, something about his style. Yeah. Uh, the freshness and the boldness at the same time. I don't know. I fell in love with his stuff a long time ago. Cool, cool. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of another artist. Maybe a Brian Larson or a Danny Grant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail, John. Okay. Thanks cool. for thanks for saying that. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. Same. I'd love to have a Brian on the wall be pretty cool yeah definitely i was tempted at um the gallery last year but yeah it's not that rich yet yeah i know i hear you i hear you um (laughs) well cool man uh anything else you want to uh say before we uh wrap it up here um no i don't think so i mean uh appreciate chat my first uh, podcast interview so i enjoyed it <laughs> cool yeah yeah me too it's been um yeah like i said earlier i've been kind of wanting to 
wanting to talk to you for a while and it's been uh it's been really fun getting to know you a little bit better and um and for thanks sure. for thanks for taking the time to to do this i just your your work and your life are, are really fascinating and um so yeah thanks thanks again thank you i appreciate that it was great talking to you all right john have a great day and you um too. good luck with all your work and uh We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Awesome. Sounds great, Danny. Thanks, John. Take care. You too. All right. Thank you again to John Wass. So nice getting to talk to him for the first time. And thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate those of you who have left reviews and ratings in iTunes. If you haven't done that, I would love it if you did. Go ahead and give this podcast a rating of seven and a half stars. If you want to send me a personal message of any sort, if you want to just say hi or take issue with something I've said here, you can email me at dannygrantstudio at gmail.com. That's all for this episode. Take care, everybody. I will talk to you next time. Bye.